Hi, I'm Shelly. And I'm Nicole. And you're listening to the Baby Pro Podcast, where we talk about everything and anything related to pregnancy through the first year of your child's life. Every episode, we will discuss and interview experts on all the questions expectant and new parents want to know, such as creating the perfect birth plan, infant sleep, and tips and tricks for parenting a newborn. Welcome to the show. Michelle, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. Good. This week we're talking with Jaren Soloff. She's the author of the postnatal cookbook. Ah, love that. Yeah, I actually have a copy of it and I really like it because one of the things I like about it is the recipes are like the ingredients are easy to find. Uh-huh. Like you don't have to search nice. for them. Yeah. Love mm-hmm. that. So she's going to be talking to us about nutrition in the postpartum period. Perfect. But first, let's talk about our favorites of the week. Very good. Do you want to go first? Sure. So something that I've been navigating um, for a while now has been um, and learning about and reading about is healthy boundaries in your relationships. And it's... <laughs> I'm applauding. I'm applauding. <laughs> I think that they are wildly underused. And wildly um, necessary to be healthy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, boundaries in how you respond to situations, what you're allowing in your life, what you're allowing in your relationship, and boundaries um, also being how you are treated, how what you're allowing for how you are being treated. Mm-hmm. So, um, I've been, you know, kind of on this learning curve for a little while now, and I will say for sure that every relationship needs healthy boundaries. And um, I come from the generation you of um, being taught that we just need to make everybody happy, um, even Mm -hmm. at the cost of our own peace. And that's not something I will ever do. Yes, Nobody will ever be more important than my peace. Because if I am not peaceful, nothing is ever going to be good. Mm -hmm. So as much as you might love someone or care for them and want you want them in your life, if you can't be cared for the way you need to be cared for in that relationship, it's probably something that A needs to be work on or B, you need to find yourself a different relationship. Yep. 100%. Yep. Absolutely. And if someone's not going to respect your boundaries, that's a huge red flag. That's a huge red flag. Because if you love someone, you would want to respect their boundaries. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, that because a good you one. Thank you. I'm happy that I'm learning about it <laughs> before I'm too old. Well, I feel like I feel like it took me a long time to get comfortable with to start asserting boundaries, but I also feel like our daughters are catching on to that in a lot earlier age than we did. Yes, which I'm super excited about. Yes, me too. I feel exactly the same way. I see my right. daughters making much healthier decisions for themselves years and years before I did, Mm -hmm. but they're watching me Yes, and I'm talking about this and they're seeing, you know, and they're hearing and it's like, Mm -hmm. they're going to do it better. Yep. My favorite thing is kind of lame compared to yours. (laughs) No, mine are always fairly lame. What is it? (laughs) Um, There's someone, there's a small business that I found called Doodles and Calm. Uh I found them on TikTok, but they're also on Instagram. And she has an Etsy store where she creates digital, but also hand-drawn journals. 
They are uh, so freaking gorgeous. Really? So fun. Like the one oh. that I've been eyeing that I keep checking to see if she restocked. She has like a book journal where you can keep track of the books that you're reading. It is so pretty. So pretty. I want it so bad. Yay. She needs to restock. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm all for supporting you know, small businesses. So absolutely. That's doodles and calm. And I will link to that in the show notes. Wonderful. Good. Okay. Now let's go to our question of the week. Great. So this week's question that I got is, is it safe to get the COVID vaccine while pregnant or breastfeeding? I'll let you answer that. Yes, it is. The, all the major health organizations are recommending that pregnant and breastfeeding mothers do get the vaccine. There's been no data at all to show that it is harmful if you're pregnant or breastfeeding. And in fact, we now know 100% for sure that the antibodies will pass to the baby through the breast milk and the placenta, which is super cool. Mm-hmm. So everyone okay. should do what they're comfortable with. But if you're, if you're wanting to get the vaccine and you're pregnant or breastfeeding, you can get the vaccine. Very good. Good question. Yep. Great question. Mm-hmm. And next up, we'll be talking with Jaren Soloff. Very good. Hey, everyone, I just wanted to chat with you a little bit about one of the biggest obstacles that I see expecting and new families facing when they're having a baby, and that's lack of support and community. I know that having a baby can be overwhelming. There's so many resources out there. Some of them are better than others. You never quite know if you're getting the most updated evidence-based information, and also there's the lack of support. So that's why I created the Baby Pro Bistro. You can join the Baby Pro Bistro and get monthly support before and after your baby arrives. The Baby Pro Bistro provides you with all your prenatal and new parenting needs. So when you join, you get the prenatal childbirth education class, the prenatal breastfeeding class, the prenatal newborn care class, and the prenatal infant sleep education. You also get postpartum information like a starting solids webinar, community support, and expert speakers who talk on various subjects such as infant massage, and pelvic floor health. I'm really excited to announce our guest this week. Uh, We are talking with Jaren Zoloff. She is the author of the Postnatal Cookbook and a registered dietitian and international board-certified lactation consultant. Welcome, Jaren. Yeah, thanks for having me, Shelly. Sure. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I will um, chat a little bit about my work. I have a combination of both nutrition work as a registered dietitian and um, about two years ago now, I got my IBCLC. So I really try to blend those two together, um, specifically in, in women's health um, and doing both nutrition counseling and then also lactation consulting as well. So how did you, were you seeing like a lot of breastfeeding parents in your, your nutrition practice? And that's why you decided to get your IBCLC? Yeah, not really. It wasn't totally linear in that way. Um, there are not a ton of dietitians that specialize specifically in like women's health issues. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more of a specialty that's kind of come about. I think there's been an increased awareness of, you know, nutrition concerns, um, specifically related to women like PCOS, endometriosis, um, hormone issues, things of that nature, and then lactation and pregnancy mm-hmm. and postpartum fall under that. Um, so I've just always been super passionate about women's health and wanted to kind of specialize in that area. Um, so lactation seems like a really good complement to that and would really help me 
get access to more of the clients that I wanted to work with. Great. And for some of our listeners who may not be aware, what exactly, can you like define what exactly a dietitian does? Um, How are you different from a nutritionist? Things like Yeah. Thank you for asking that. I always just assume that everybody knows what a dietitian is, but it's kind of confusing because, um, you know, every dietitian can be a nutritionist, but not everyone who's a nutritionist is a dietitian. Mm -hmm. So, um, dietitians, we specifically have to do, um, a level of training. We have to have bachelor's degrees. We have to do, a specific like clinical internship. We work in hospitals um, and dietitians work in like a variety of different settings, but you know, it's basically kind of similar to like the IBCLC versus um, someone in your, in your mom's group who might be giving you like breastfeeding advice, right. Mm -hmm. Which both are super valuable, but if you have like a clinical um, like breastfeeding or lactation issue, you're going to want to see an IBCLC. You're going to want to see the expert. Um, so an RD really has that kind of nutrition, um, science background, mm-hmm. um, kind of similar to the IBCLC. Great. So you can, so you must talk a lot about like nutrition during the postpartum period. Yeah, I do. Um, for a few reasons. I mean, one, if I'm doing a, a lactation consultation, it's going to be showing up, right? Like our needs mm-hmm. after birth are very specific. Um, and also it's really not talked about a ton, um, just because we don't prepare for postpartum as much as we prepare for pregnancy and birth. Mm -hmm. So I specifically really kind of like to focus in on postpartum nutrition, because if you think about pregnancy, like we kind of have these nutrition guidelines of like first trimester, eat this second trimester, third trimester, there's like these guidelines that you can follow, um, that can be helpful for some people. And then postpartum, there's a ton of demands like healing Mm -hmm. from birth, breastfeeding. Um, you know, if that's something that you choose, um, and you know, just the physical recovery of it all and nutrition has a huge impact on it. So I think we're still learning a lot about how impactful it really can be during postpartum. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that you've known this in, for a long time because of the field that you're in, but I think it's just becoming more mainstream, the knowledge of how nutrition is actually connected to your health and your well-being, mm-hmm. and isn't just like fuel to keep you going that what you eat matters. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that pregnancy and postpartum are probably, um, times in our lives where we bring so much attention to nutrition, like Mm -hmm. maybe it hasn't been something that has been in your awareness prior, but usually if you're growing a human and then feeding a human, you become really, you know, interested and maybe more curious about the nutrition aspects of it. Um, so yeah, there's definitely still a lot more to learn. Um, but there's definitely some guidelines that we can kind of use now that can be supportive. Right. Yeah. And I feel like most of the families that I'm working with, you know, once you have the baby, you're so overwhelmed or you can be so overwhelmed that you're really just like, you're waking up like sometimes. And I experienced this myself where I would wake up, I'd eat breakfast and then I would blink and it would be 8 PM and I haven't eaten since then. Mm-hmm. And I think that can be a real problem. Um, and so I always encourage the families if I'm working with them prenatally to like kind of stock their freeze, you know, the usual advice that we give to parents, mm-hmm. like stock your freezer, have people make food and bring it over to you. 
But I'm wondering if, you know, I, I always prioritize actually eating over actually what you're eating, but are there things that someone who just had a baby might be like nutrients that they might be deficient in or lacking in that they wouldn't find it helpful to focus on, to incorporate more into their diet? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a really good question. And we're definitely on the same page of just like, okay, we need to find out, you know, whatever's just going to work for you right now, which means feeding yourself adequately. But I really think there are definitely certain nutrients we call like micronutrients that can be depleted throughout pregnancy or birth that are helpful to focus on during postpartum. Mm -hmm. Um, but I always think of like, okay, coming back to the basics too. So a, are you eating enough? Are you eating consistently? Because eating consistently, meaning like you're not going from 8 a.m. when you're having your cereal to 8 p.m. at night, because you could be technically eating enough, but that time in between your energy level is going to be zapped, right? Mm -hmm. So trying to work towards a schedule that's going to be supportive of your blood sugar, because having consistent meals and snacks and having a well-balanced blood sugar is going to also help support your mood and help you meet your nutrition goals too. So I think of, you know, getting enough, eating consistently, and then, um, you know, if we're thinking about some of the nutrition pieces, I think about having really a good combination of foods. Um, so we have these two categories. I'll just share really quick, like your macronutrients, which a lot of us are familiar with, like mm -hmm. your carbs, your proteins, your fats, and then there's your smaller micronutrients, right? So like your calcium, your B vitamins, um, those types of things. I really encourage like focusing on getting in your three macronutrients, your carb, protein, and fat with your meals and snacks, because usually if you're getting a good combination of those throughout the day, you're going to be getting most of your micronutrients. Um, and I feel like it's kind of a low hanging fruit for us to start there. Mm -hmm. And then we can kind of talk about like some of the littler nutrition pieces that might be more specific to someone's needs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really important. Is there like, because I know that people, at least I'm sure not like with professionals like you, but I know like the Instagram world and uh, Professor Google, if you Google like how many grams of protein or how many grams of carbs or whatever should I be getting a day and try to figure out like an actual official macronutrient count, you get all sorts of different answers. Everything from like, you should be keto to, you know, you should be high carb. Um, so I'm, it's astounding how much misinformation is out there. And I know that as health professionals, we understand on some level that there's always something for somebody, like you can't put a generalized recommendation on everybody, but for someone who just had a baby, is there like a general macro, like, um, portion that you recommend, like, even if it's by the plate, like one third protein or something like that? Mm -hmm. Mm. I mean, there definitely are these, these guidelines and numbers out there, but it's really hard to, to say, um, a, because those are so going to depend on your individual needs, right? Like how tall are you? Like, where was your, you know, where was your body before pregnancy, after pregnancy? What was your birth experience? Like, um, all these different, are you breastfeeding or not breastfeeding? Um, so all of those are going to kind of impact it. Um, and also your body knows what to do. So part of this is really like the philosophy I have, which is, um, some people might be familiar with the term intuitive eating, but it's essentially what your baby is doing, right? Like your mm -hmm. baby doesn't need us to, 
regulate the amount of energy or calories that are coming in or count, keep track of the amount of protein that's, you know, in our breast milk or whatever it is, your baby is guided by hunger and fullness. So I think using that model, and you could probably split it into, you know, I would say like half your plate is, you know, veggies. And then the other half, like complex carbohydrate, a good protein, and then fat kind of intermixed with a plate to get your macronutrients in. But Mm -hmm. I don't recommend counting macronutrients or calories or counting anything, even in my clients who are not pregnant or postpartum. So Mm -hmm. I definitely don't give numbers to my postpartum clients because I mean, I wasn't in the brain space to like count at that place. Um, I know some people really like having more concrete, so we can definitely go there, but um, generally I don't kind of use those ranges. Okay, great. Yeah. And I know that there are some people who can get like where they're weighing everything that they eat. And I I just think that that would stress me out. Like, yeah, I work with a nutritionist and, and I, I told her when we first started working together, like. I'm not counting calories. I'm not counting macronutrients. So, and we figured it out despite mm-hmm. like not wanting to count anything. Totally. Yeah. But focusing on those like three can usually be a good kind of, if you need something more concrete can be a good place to start. Mm-hmm. And I have a lot of parents who, that I feel that I work with that lost a lot of blood during labor or had like high blood pressure or, um, mm-hmm issues with insulin levels are there like so for example if you had a parent that had like a postpartum hemorrhage and is recovering from that are there certain foods that if they could incorporate into their diet without having that be stressful would be better for them to eat yeah absolutely i mean so iron and vitamin d are two of the nutrients that come to mind that are more of the micronutrients that are pretty much across the board really essential for everyone postpartum um, specifically when there's been blood loss so iron rich foods there's animal-based you know iron and there's plant-based iron animal-based iron found in like your red meats is going to be more what we call bioavailable so your body's going to have an easier time, you know, absorbing it and repleting that iron level. You can still get iron from plant-based foods like dark greens, beans, um, pairing them together and cooking them with vitamin C can help increase your absorption. So getting a good combination of those types of foods can help bump up your iron level because, um, yeah, it's pretty sometimes really undiagnosed too, like anemia, both during pregnancy and postpartum. So if you're noticing, you know, increased fatigue or lethargy that getting those iron levels checked could be really important. Mm -hmm. And I think part of the reason why it gets missed is that some of these symptoms are just the same symptoms as being a new mom. Mm -hmm. Like what, what, what mom isn't fatigued, (laughs) like low on energy. So I think that can make it really hard to, I think sometimes a parent's concerns can be dismissed because, you know, if, if someone who just had a baby goes to their doctor and is like, I'm really tired all the time and my hair is falling out. You know, a lot of times the provider's like, well, you just, you just had a baby and that happens mm-hmm. after. And instead of like further exploring that. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. As a day, do you, do you, would you say that you kind of look more holistically at a family or a patient to kind of like, or do you just focus on like one specific symptom that they're having? From the, like when I'm doing a lactation visit with the family or with their nutrition overall? With their nutrition overall. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, and I might be biased here. I mean, there's lots of nutrition philosophies as we know, and lots of 
you know, dietitians, but um, trying to be evidence-based, right? And um, we have to be holistic in our approach and our recommendations in terms of looking at the needs of the individual and also understanding how individual and specific nutrition is, right? Like mm-hmm. I can give a general recommendation, but um, it's going to depend on so many factors, your environment, your lifestyle, um, what your history and relationship with food is, um, what's available to you. All of those different factors are really going to impact um, different recommendations that we might make. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing that I come across all the time with the families I work with is I feel like, especially lately, maybe in the past year to year and a half, um, a lot of parents are doing elimination diets if they're breastfeeding because their baby is fussy or has some mucus in the stool. And I feel like it's just like the, the first thing that providers are jumping to, like, oh, take dairy out of your diet. Yep. It's always dairy for some reason. And, and we know, I mean, I don't have a nutrition background like you do, but as an IBCLC, I know that some babies do react to foods in the parent's diet, but I often feel like it's not happening at the rate that providers are saying or telling mom that it's happening. And Mm -hmm. I was just wondering what your thought was on that. Yes. I wholeheartedly agree with that observation and also experience the same thing. Um, where, you know, I think it's a, a really easy, in theory, it's a really easy recommendation for another provider to make that seems like it's easy for a parent to kind of modify on their own. Um, but I do think that it's made, you know, not carefully enough um, in understanding kind of the process of elimination, the other factors that could go on with, you know, those symptoms, whether it's like redness or gassiness or fussiness the incidence of it is actually much lower. I forget the percentage. I actually wrote about it in my book because I was seeing it so frequently, but um, the incidence of babies that actually have a true sensitivity you know, to dairy or another food in the diet is actually really low. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure why it's you know being kind of over-recommended, over-diagnosed, but I will say that I think we just live in a culture that's very hyper-aware of if there's a symptom that it could be related back to the diet, which Mm -hmm. diet and nutrition is so powerful, but I think as parents, when we're giving those recommendations, like can create a lot of anxiety and a lot of panic too. And I see a lot of like hyper-awareness around it. Like we don't need to be eliminating things from parents' diets without, you know, just cause. Mm-hmm. Right. Like the local hospital in my area, as part of their discharge teaching, they tell breastfeeding parents, oh, because you're breastfeeding, you know, you don't want to have alcohol, caffeine, or spicy or gassy foods, um, uh, which, you know, it's, if you eat broccoli and then your baby's fussy, it's because they're a baby. It's not really <laughs> because you ate broccoli. Yeah. Um, do, would you agree or do you have like more thoughts on that? Yeah, no, hundred percent. I mean, we, as lactation consultants, right. And even with the nutrition piece, um, it's, it's part of your digestion. So yeah, there are mm-hmm. some babies who might just have a different level of sensitivity, but generally the majority of the time, um, mom eating spicy food, gassy food is not going to have that effect on baby, right? Milk is made from the blood. It's not made from your digestive system in that way. Exactly. So I think it's just the foods that have the potential to pass through that can cause a problem. But um, yeah, I hear that all the time. I, I would say a good majority of the families that I work with 
now I've noticed they, they casually will just throw it out there like, oh, I, I took dairy out of my diet two weeks ago. That's, and it's not as easy. I feel like it's not as easy as it used to be in, in some ways, but easier in other ways. Like we have a lot more dairy-free options and like dairy-free creamer and dairy-free milk and stuff like that. But also dairy is in everything. Um, pretty oh. much if it's like comes out of a box, a good chance uh-huh. it has dairy in it. Yeah. Yeah. It's much harder. That's why, you know, I think like recommending a parent to do dairy elimination, like shouldn't be made lightly because it could have a, like, Hey, it takes a lot of strategy. You know, if you're really doing it correctly and you're not consuming any dairy at all, like that takes a lot of strategy. Um, and depending on like the parent's lifestyle, like I love me some cheese and dairy. So that would be really hard for me, you know? And it's a big way I get protein through my diet that I don't have to cook meat or, you know, so you kind of have to think about that recommendation as a whole, um, and maybe explore some other avenues too, before we kind of go down that route. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause anytime you're recommending to someone that they remove an entire food group from their diet, you can, things can get a little sticky. Yeah. And we know the calcium component is there too, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's really important, especially pregnancy, you know, lactation that your calcium reserves are being supported um, mm-hmm. just because it can be a time where um, bone loss can happen. So there's other ways to get calcium, but dairy is one of the most bioavailable options too. Mm-hmm. Perfect. And what do you think of supplements? I know there's a lot of um mixed opinions on whether people should take supplements or like if you do have a family that it just finds it overwhelming to have a a variety of foods in their diet and um they're just they're thinking about taking like a supplement to help with that is that something that you usually suggest or do you find that the research shows they're not effective yeah yeah supplements are, are great insurance policy um i mean whenever i do a consultation they're usually always, um, to some degree included in part of, you know, a plan we might work on together. I would say specifically for postpartum that sometimes our needs are so high for B vitamins, for iron, for vitamin D that you might not be able to have the level of nutrition you need to get up to those levels. So it's a good insurance policy in addition to nutrition to kind of get your basis covered for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just, really important. Like not all supplements are regulated. So, you know, you need to find a really reputable brand that's checked, um, or that's verified by USP verified, um, just because there can be, you know, and they can be expensive, right? Right, So it's definitely not a a catch-all for everything, but it can be supportive. Mm -hmm. So it's more, they're meant more to support the nutrition, like your, your diet, not to like, just try to replace the diet. Does that make totally. sense? Yeah. 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 It's almost like with foods that promote milk production, right? Like I have families all the yeah. time who have low milk supply and they're like, well, I've been eating a lot of oatmeal. It's like, well, oats can be good for supporting milk production, but that's not, it's not like a magic food that's going to magically increase your supply. What are your thoughts on foods that for milk production? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so similar. I didn't even like that is really analogous in that way. Um, yeah, you got to have the foundation, right? So like we know that the foundation for a healthy milk supply is there's got to be enough emptying of the breasts, right? That just has to happen one way or another. Um, lactation supplements or galactagogues can be supportive, right? 
Um, mm -hmm. They can help be a part of your plan, but unless we have that foundational piece, um, they're only going to go so far. Right. And they are also expensive. Yeah, mm -hmm. extremely expensive. <laughs> exactly. Um, are there specific foods that you have found in your research that do not, not like a magical food that will raise milk production, but that do support milk production? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know, you know, there's some different really interesting lists out there of like lactogenic foods, right? Like obviously we know oats, flax, mm -hmm. um, you know, different types of some different herbs and things like that. But on a whole level, it's more about the composition of your nutrition overall. So mm -hmm. I think this part kind of surprised a lot of people, but, you know, making sure that you have adequate carbohydrate, um, because it's a huge part of your energy production and staying hydrated, which we know is also connected to milk supply. Mm -hmm. Um, so I kind of look at it on a, a larger scale and think about, you know, making sure you're getting that good combination of foods because it's like no one food is going to make or break you, right? Like the sweet potato is not going to save you and the muffin isn't going to break you, right? Like mm -hmm. your nutrition is a product of these different behaviors over time, not just one day, but over a week, over a month. So I kind of view it in that lens, which hopefully can be relieving for some people because mm -hmm. again, we're like very perfectionistic around nutrition in our culture. Right. So to those listeners out there, the blue Gatorade is not a magic drink. <laughs> yeah. I don't even, gosh, I guess maybe I need to know like what all these magic foods that are being touted out there. Yeah. Um, in the mom groups, it's everywhere. Um, the McDonald's leprechaun shake that comes out around St. Patty's day that goes through the mom's group saying it will increase your supply. Yep. And then, um, the unicorn drink from Starbucks that went around Gosh. for a while saying mom's claiming it increased your supply. And I guess I heard, and I didn't look into it myself, but I guess I heard that like blue Gatorade has more potassium or something other than other yeah. Gatorades. But really like, mm -hmm. again, if you're dehydrated and you yeah. drink Gatorade and then you pump a little bit more milk, it's because you were dehydrated. It's not, it's not that the blue Gatorade was this magic wand for you. Totally. Yeah. And honestly, all of those foods that you mentioned, I mean, they're all fluid rich and they're all carbohydrate rich too. Mm -hmm. Right. So yeah. again, there's that like energy production and carbohydrates help keep us hydrated, which could help with your output. So interesting. Mm -hmm. I didn't know about those ones specifically. Yeah. And then of course, I'm sure you've heard of dark beer, like mm -hmm. have a Guinness. What are your mm -hmm. thoughts on that one? Yeah. I mean, we know same thing, like, right. Whether it's like the brewer's yeast that again, a certain amount could be supportive, but also, you know, thinking about the impact of just, it's one kind of small drop in the bucket of an mm. overall strategy of your output and your diet overall. Right. Right. And I, and I think if anyone's having issues with milk supply, then having an assessment with an IBCLC, it's definitely the way to go. Cause it might mm -hmm. not even be your milk supply. It might be the way the baby's eating at the breast mm -hmm. and not transferring milk very well, for example. Right. Um, so if you have, I'm just thinking about what you said about women's health. Um, if you have a mom who has PCOS as an example, mm -hmm. which can, you know, affect your health in general, but also your fertility and your milk making abilities. Are there certain foods, and I know that it can vary individual to individual, but do you have yeah. like general foods that are good for PCOS? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and PCOS, I feel more comfortable giving more specific nutrition strategies, which are still kind of general because there would be more. But um, as a whole, you know, with PCOS, it's important to think about that blood sugar balance. So protein um, and making sure you get good quality protein consistently throughout the day is super important. Um, it's going to be really satisfying. It's going to be sustaining for your blood sugar levels. Um, and then overall with PCOS, um, what's going on is, you know, there's like inflammation, right. And Mm inflammation is kind of like a buzzword with nutrition with PCOS. It's actual like inflammation that's going on in the body. Mm -hmm. Right. So, Um, what can be supported nutrition wise is thinking about what we call like an anti-inflammatory approach, um, which anti-inflammatory foods are, you know, foods that are really high in antioxidants. So that's a good variety of fruits and vegetables. It's nuts and seeds, um, beans and legumes can be really supportive and then having, um, good quality proteins, specifically ones that are really rich in omega-3 fatty acids, like salmon or tuna, um, and olive oil as like a a staple food. So some of the examples of those foods are all part of like anti-inflammatory or like a Mediterranean diet kind of food pattern, which for PCOS and other inflammatory conditions can be really helpful. Mm -hmm. Would you consider turmeric a good anti-inflammatory? Yeah. Yeah. Turmeric's a great, um, a great spice. I feel like, again, it's one of those ones that's like really popular, um, Mm. but it's, yeah, I use it a lot in some of the recipes in my book too. Great in curries and, Mm-hmm. Um, is just really powerful in terms of its antioxidant capacity. So spices and herbs are part of that kind of diet pattern too. Mm-hmm. I always like this drink. It's, it's, um, golden milk. I'm sure you've heard of it. It's yeah. so good. Like turmeric uh-huh. with more milk. And I think there's like cinnamon and nutmeg or something in it. And I drink it before I go to bed. It's really, it tastes great. Mm-hmm. I know. Yeah. I have a recipe in the book too. I forgot. I did there one with a little yeah. bit of cinnamon and super soothing. So what tips do you have for new parents? Because I feel like, um, I remember when I had my babies, at least with my first, I was so overwhelmed. And even though we had stocked our freezer and people had dropped off like casseroles and stuff, just even heating food up, like the act of like taking it out, cutting it up and putting it on a plate and heating it up sometimes felt too overwhelming. Um, what would you recommend for parents who are struggling to get enough food in? Like, are there certain tips or tricks? Uh-huh. Yeah, I think it can be a really big challenge. I mean, certainly you can get more skillful at eating with one hand as you move along, right? But mm-hmm. um, that's a, a parenting hack you kind of learn. Um, I think of really just keeping it super simple. If you're finding that it's hard to keep up with your intake throughout the day, um, it might mean changing the type of foods that you purchase for the short term. So buying more prepackaged or individual types of Mm -hmm. items, right? Like um, those little bags of trail mix and like keeping them, you know, in your nursing basket so that you can have it when you're sitting down buying more individual bars or individual Greek yogurt cups, um, Mm -hmm. stuff that you can really just kind of grab and go, um, thinking of like, you know, string cheeses or whole bananas or dried fruit, like stuff that doesn't require you to be at a stove, put it in the microwave that is still pretty nutrient dense. Um, and I think of, 
you know, your eating times as like, they're kind of windows of opportunity. Like, how can I get the most bang for my buck? If I have five minutes without the baby, let me grab a handful of nuts, you know, some dried fruit and like two string cheeses. Maybe it's not a full meal, but you're trying to get in like as much nutrition as possible within that small window. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. I always liked, um, like, I always would put like bowls of nuts around the house. And every time I walked by, I would just like grab a handful. Mm-hmm. Um, so who doesn't like string cheese? I love string cheese. Yeah. Um, but the other thing that I found really helpful that I found a recipe for is, I think the recipe was called like protein bars, balls, um, where it's mm-hmm. like a peanut mm-hmm. butter base and oat base with some like, like honey. energy bites. Yeah, yeah, energy bites, protein balls. I've seen it called both things. And you just like roll it up and stick it in the fridge. Mm-hmm. And I would just like grab, they're very like calorie dense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think those are a great, like, I think it surprises people to be like, ah, actually like focus on calorie rich foods because you want to try to get in like energy dense meals or snacks because you don't have as much time to eat, right? Um, so yeah, those energy balls are great or like dates with some nut butter. I mean, I put peanut butter Mm -hmm. on everything, which can be a good option for getting in some extra energy too. Mm -hmm. I really like dates with goat cheese. Ooh, it is so good. It's like addicting. (laughs) Sweet and savory kind of. Yeah. And it doesn't really take that much again to prepare. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about your cookbook. Why, why did you write it? Who is it for? Yeah. Um, so the postnatal cookbook is my attempt at really trying to make nutrition pretty accessible in terms of having some foundations of things that are important for postpartum nutrition wise. So good quality proteins, balanced meals, um, and some easy ways to kind of put that into action with meals and snacks. Um, I think that the nutrition information that I was familiar with for postpartum, um, that is so incredibly valuable, like first 40 days types of um, herbs and meals was even for me looking at it, like really overwhelming because there was so many ingredients and, you know, unless which I hope, I think we all need like a postpartum doula, like unless you have a postpartum doula or you have, you know, your family staying with you and they can cook all these recipes, it's going to be really hard to like get in that nutrition. So I wanted to have just some recipes that were really simple and easy to put together. So um, all of my recipes for meals and snacks are very limited on the amount of ingredients you need. A lot of them use kitchen staples that hopefully you already have on hand. Um, And it is a guide to kind of teach you how to pair them together to support your health postpartum. Mm -hmm. And that's one of my favorite things about your cookbook. I know that we talked about this before when we were talking, but I love, like you said, that it doesn't take a lot of ingredients to make the recipes and they're, they're not like quote unquote weird ingredients that you have Mm -hmm. to go to like special stores to buy and like pay a lot of money for like most uh-huh. of this stuff you can find in your regular grocery store yeah yeah and I feel like I always I want to be like careful with that when I'm saying it because I don't want it to feel tone deaf like it's because we are missing like postpartum cultural support right like mm-hmm. we should have time we should have a framework of society that like encourages people cooking meals for postpartum people, but we just don't, the reality is right. So 
if this can just be like a very small step of like trying to get back there to encourage, you know, birthing people to have more support and to understand that like we need to do a better job of like feeding parents so they can take care mm-hmm. of their babies after birth. Um, yeah, this is a, a hope that I have. Yeah, and I think a lot of other cultures do it way, way, way better than we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have a lot to learn from them. Um, but 100%, there's so many things wrong with the way our culture supports new families, and that is one of them. Yeah, absolutely. So if you were working with a an expecting family, what any other tips that you would give them for preparing for nutrition in the postpartum period? Yeah, I mean, you touched on, like, which is one that now we kind of all commonly hear, right? Like, batch cooking, especially if you're, like, nesting, like, right before you mm-hmm. give birth, you're, like, batch cooking or, um, you know, freezing things. Mm-hmm. But I also think, um, you know, having some intentionality around that can be really helpful. Um, I think we say this with all things birth and postpartum, but really asking for help, um, whether it be with grocery shopping or preparing meals, um, and maybe being specific too. Like, I can't tell you how many times I've had families tell me like, okay, yeah, we have like a ton of big ziti in the fridge, but like, it's not like feeling like the most nourishing for me, or it's not feeling like, um, you know, something that's really just supporting my energy levels overall. So, mm-hmm. um, like the cookbook could be a good option to kind of give and say like, Hey, I have these recipes, like if you're coming over and you want to cook, like these would be so helpful. Um, we have more resources now in terms of like Instacart or grocery pickup or delivery. I encourage parents to, you know, within their means, right. To think about, we might have more practices that might be more budget conscious when we're not in the postpartum phase. Like for example, like you have more time to chop up vegetables or bake the chicken yourselves, but postpartum, like try and take some of those quick hacks. Like, yeah, they cost like a little bit more, but having something chicken already cooked or having those salad bags, like Mm -hmm. it's going to help you get more nutrition in, in the short term. Um, just like being reasonable with your expectations there. Yeah. I think that's great. Great advice. Mm -hmm. And I will say if you are, if you are someone who is preparing food for someone who's expecting a baby, please prepare it in disposable cookware because there's nothing (laughs) worse than being like a new mom with 10% of your brain math missing and trying to keep track of where you put, you know, Aunt Lydia's pan or whatever. So Mm -hmm. yeah, that's such a good tip too. Yeah. Well, I think this is such an important topic and I definitely think, you know, in an ideal world, a dietitian or nutritionist would be someone that every new parent sees to make sure that they're getting enough to support their body. It's kind of like, again, like putting the oxygen mask on yourself before you put it, help someone else because Mm -hmm. taking care of your body is going to help you take care of your baby. Absolutely. Yeah. We're getting there, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So tell us where we can find you in your book, where people can connect with you if they want to reach out. Yeah, the best thing would be on my website where you can um, you can order my book from the website. You can get links to it's also on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, so um, almost all of the major retailers. Um, and on my website, schoolcircle.co, you can read a little bit more about what working together if you are needing some nutrition counseling support. Um, I have a lot of parents that reach out to me during pregnancy um, beforehand because. Maybe they know they have some food stuff or they're noticing that, um, you know, they're not feeling great or they're just interested in learning more about nutrition. So 
I do those consults virtually. Um, so if that's, you know, an interest to you to kind of get a little bit more support, that's an option. Um, and then I end up having a lot of parents postpartum too, that maybe two or three months down the line um, are having concerns, whether it's, you know, concerns about like food allergies or the elimination diet that maybe was recommended to them, or mm-hmm. there's a lot of conversations we didn't touch on about just like weight postpartum. And um, that can be a huge concern for a lot of people. And so we can kind of work through any of those. Perfect. And I will put the links for all those in the show notes. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jaren, for joining us. This was such a great conversation. Again, I love your book. Um, I love everything about it, the pictures, the recipes, everything. Thanks. Yeah, it's definitely a labor of love. Thanks for having me here. I hope that some of the info can be helpful to new parents. Definitely. Have a great night. Thank you for joining us this week on the Baby Pro Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, ShellyTaffIBCLC.com, where you can check out our online parenting community, The Baby Bistro. You can also follow us on social media, at Shelly Taft IBCLC on Instagram. If you love the show, please leave a rating on iTunes so that we can continue to bring you amazing episodes. Thanks for listening and see you in two weeks.